Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. I can look like Spock one day. I can look like I'm from the nineties and they're like thin and little. And then sometimes they get all curly and long and they tickle my nose. Oh, they tickle, they tickle your nose. When they get to the point where they're tickling your chin, then you need to. Rethink things. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what's been wrong this whole time in my life. This whole time. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How do you do? I do good. Welcome. Oh, that's excellent. Welcome <laughs> to yourself. Welcome to you. Oh, my goodness. I've had a couple of drinks in the park today, so she's a bit loose. How was that? Loose e goosey. It was very nice weather today. Mm. Uh, it is a uh, pubic holiday for us recording today. When this is released, it won't be, but that's fine. Guys, this is the internet. It happens in weird times. Relax. <laughs> um, we're not in the position to live record at this point. It is a day off. Um, Dom, you drank in the park? Yes, drinking in the uh, park to commemorate Anzac Day. Yes, exactly right. So it is a day for us to uh, remember those that have served and that are still serving in our Australian New Zealand Armed Forces. So it's been, yeah, it's been a big weekend of football. I love AFL football and they do a really good job of paying tribute, which I love. Yes. And Kate, just hello for folks at home as well, we have an uncle named Leonard Keith Gawley, who was part of the Royal Australian Air Force. And he was born 25th of Jan, 1927. And he was born in Benalla, Victoria. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? And he was stationed out in Laverton headquarters for the RAF. So how have I lived for 34 days on this planet and (laughs) that I don't know that. Yeah. And his wife was Lucy Gawley. Oh, that's so cute. So cheers to Lucy and Leonard. Cheers, Lucy. Cheers, Leonard. Here's to you. Okay, Kate. Ting. Hello. Shall we do some house of the house? Housekeeping. 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 For anybody that tuned in last week, we were like, do you know what we'll do next week? We'll do some sort of hip hop thing. But here's the clincher. Dom and I have not spoken about it one lick since we just offhandedly mentioned it. And we still managed to do it that, regardless of we didn't plan that at all yeah. I mean I don't know how you could tell it sounded very professional like we'd rehearsed we're but. so committed to you as an audience <laughs> that we're keeping yes. our promises we are we're keeping our words <laughs> okay but <laughs> to the point housekeeping as usual yep. folks please go check out all of our wonderful socials on Instagram and TikTok at shitting.bricks.podcast easy easy so easy so easy. And while you're at it, why not uh, show us how much you love us by donating, subscribing to our Patreon. It only costs like a couple of dollars. It's not a lot. It's very cheap. It's it's really not. It's not a lot. 
yeah and it goes a really really long way Kate and I don't get paid for this we do this for the love of it and we, do. Uh, we both work full-time trying to pull this on the side so a little extra cash just means that we can keep going it does it makes it much easier yeah and if you've got any complaints just email us at shitten.bricks.podcast we will endeavor not to answer them whatsoever correct we might read it we might talk about it on air but we won't we don't care yeah um and uh just as a reminder i think i might start doing this as part of our regular housekeeping Uh, Uh especially after last week i made a rather controversial joke about one of the victims and we love to lighten the mood and process all the very dark things that we explore on this podcast by having a laugh it's not it's cathartic yeah and it's not intended to be insensitive but sometimes we can cross that line in some people's opinions sure at the end of the day this is our podcast yeah and and that's your opinion and that's that's fine you can absolutely have it no problems at all and we're going to keep doing what we're doing so we are exactly yeah um thanks tom Sorry, I've just cut you off. Not at all. Because but... I got really excited. I just wanted to say, because I saw this pop up on our notifications. And I are you gonna is there a boo pod for this week? There is. So Fantastic. Pod, yep. we are going to feature uh, a podcast called Haunted or Hoax. Mm-hmm. Which is probably one of my favorite, though we're not supposed to have favorites, are we, Kate? But No, we're not. They're like children. But we do. Well, I do. Yeah, we do. I'm I'm definitely the favourite in my family. Um, <laughs> Chelsea and Georgia know that very well, so uh, it's not it's not a secret. Carol Wilkinson posted something on Facebook recently that says otherwise. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> Carol didn't do shit. Georgia tried to had to reset her password. It's all linked to her, mm. so she reset her password. Classic two thousands actor Facebook. Yeah, unreal. That easy to get. <laughs> Control of uh, yeah. Mama Wilkinson, but a, um, <laughs> a boomer's Facebook page. <laughs> but yes, Boo Pod Network uh, podcast feature this week is haunted or hoax, and it's with Jennifer and Kristen, and is it Kristen or Kirsten? Kristen, because you know they get mixed up very easily. Yes, very easily. It is Kristen, I can confirm, and they do. It's like a paranormal podcast on the legends of some of the most iconic haunted sites in the world and all the amazing history behind them. So go give them a listen. And here is their promo. Hi, I'm Kristen. And I'm Jennifer. And we're the hosts of Haunted or Hoax, a paranormal investigation podcast where we investigate the legends and history, not just the ghosts. Our locations range from houses down in Savannah, Georgia, murder houses in the Midwest, to hotels in West Virginia. Additionally, we get together and go on ghost tours and bring the legends and history to you. Join us every Tuesday as we discuss the legends, history, and experiences from haunted locations. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Bye! Bye. Okay, Kate, that is Hello. the end of... Housekeeping. Yeah, yeah, housekeeping. Yeah, yeah, housekeeping. Why are we doing this podcast when we could be full-time rappers Um, and beatboxers? I don't know, because we're not particularly bright people, so. (laughs) I have another podcast that I want to give a shout-out to just for their name. Mm -hmm. Um, They joined us, uh, followed us last week. 
It is the Totally Weird and Twisted podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Which um, their tag is the Twat podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And their their byline is two amazing twats discuss a plethora of topics, including history, true crime, paranormal, whatever we want to relax and enjoy the two twats. So I am a huge fan of the word twat. And I, as soon as I saw Totally Weird and Twisted podcast, I was like, Totally Weird and Twisted, that sounds cool. And then I saw their handle, which is Twat Podcast. I was absolutely tickled. So I couldn't go this week without mentioning them. Uh, Yeah, and feel free to have a listen to their stuff. I haven't yet because I only saw them pop up on our Insta, so I haven't actually listened to their listen to their gear, but I just wanted to give a shout-out for a great name. We're, We're officially Twatters. We are. We're twatters. Yeah. We're two twats just twatting about. <laughs> <laughs> what sound does the twat make? <laughs> I could do it, but. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> Going down a slide with no underpants on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, folks. It's begun. Oh, I wanted to do it, but I was laughing too much. That I had my t- my cheeks were too taut. Yeah. Uh, classic. Okay. Enough about twats, twats, whatever. I like. I say twat. How do you do? You say twat, twat. I like the twat. It's like okay. Yeah, Aussie it's, it's a bit more Aussie twat. You twat. Yeah. You dumb twat. Twats probably UK. More UK. I think it's like the polite way of just being like, yeah, you absolute twat. twat. <laughs> yeah, twat. <are> you say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, into today's episode, Dom. I was just having a bit of a peep online of things that I like to read about, <laughs> and I thought, do you know what we're going to learn about today? We're going to dive into the world of pharmaceuticals. <gasps> now, you I should have called you because you are a specialist in this topic. <laughs> but probably more so for some of the remedies that were introduced in the 1700s and 1800s, which I will talk about and will get your opinion of perhaps later. But I always start us off with a phobia. Yes. I want to talk to you about pharmacophobia. Pharmacophobia. With a pH? Uh, yes, pH. <laughs> Yeah, pretty heart and tempted. Uh, PH, pharmacophobia. In short, pharmacophobia is the fear of medication and any sort of pharmacological pharmacological treatment. Wow, okay. there's an actual thing. Yes, yes. So people with pharmacophobia, they might feel nervous or upset seeing or hearing about medication in a variety of settings from television shows to seeing a pill container in someone's bathroom. ER is a rollout for them then. Yeah, no. definitely. ER, no bueno. Grey's Anatomy, off the list. Um, Scrubs? Yeah, probably not. Mm. No no good. Now, pharmacophobia manifests itself differently for each individual depending on what triggers them. For example, having to take drugs regularly can be extremely difficult to deal with for some. For others, the phobia may induce severe panic attacks. The anxiety they're experiencing may be so acute that they require hospitalisation. Now, <laughs> that sounds like a bit counterproductive. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? <laughs> what? You're afraid of pills and pharmaceuticals? Let's put them in hospital. Yeah. <laughs> they're having a they're having a proper meltdown from seeing medical uh, <laughs> yeah. professionals. 
give people pills. Um, now, Dom, have you ever heard of the placebo effect? I sure have. Have you? Yes, because in fact, I'm currently part of a medical study. Are you really? Yeah. So it's you live the most wild life. <laughs> I need to start doing more stuff. I need to start clicking on more random links that pop up on my Facebooks and Instagrams because I gotta join this stuff. No, I don't. I don't entertain those like free shot money. Like no, okay, I, this is this is due to a certain. Uh, free lifestyle that I live and I'm mm -hmm. very blessed in the country of Australia of getting a lot of free health care especially around yeah. sexual health which is not talked about and it's too taboo mm -hmm. but because if I am ever in need or I'm regularly checked for my sexual health and if I ever need treatment it's completely free and covered no questions asked so I always offer to participate in any sexual health studies through my clinic as yeah. a way of giving back that way nice. healthcare for everybody so I'm Absolutely. currently in a study and it's quite possible 50 50 that I was given a placebo or not and okay when you do a study they have to be very clear about what a placebo is blah 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 blah, blah. so Yes. This is fascinating. This And that's actually perfect for today's episode because there'll be some things perhaps later I'll talk about. And do chime in with some of your experiences based on you doing an actual clinical trial right now. Oh, what a world to be in. <laughs> now, placebos is basically, as Dom alluded to, that it's when you are, you know, told you're going to give a form of medication that's going to help you, uh, that's going to make you feel better, but you're really just being given sugar pills. Now, people with pharmacophobia have the exact opposite of that it's called the nocebo effect <gasps> so you are prescribed medication legit meadows that your doctor warns you about some possible side effects the nocebo effect can cause people with pharmacophobia to have a negative reaction to a drug just because they think they're going to <laughs> it can outweigh the benefits of the drug Wow. So you have heard of the saying mind over matter. Yep. For some people, merely thinking about a side effect can cause unfavorable symptoms. Yep. It's difficult because on one hand, you want to take the medication to feel better, uh, but then knowing about the side effects makes you more afraid to take them. Yeah. And then you start taking the meds and then you're super extra conscious about how your body adjusts to them and it like messes you up. This is so fascinating. Kate. The nocebo effect. Now, although thinking positively is great, it can also be unrealistic all the time because shit happens. That's the world we live in. Yeah. But trying to be generally upbeat about treatments and medications will help. The brain can change the way that nerve cells communicate by emitting chemicals called neurotransmitters that are attached to molecules on neurons known as receptors. So positive thinking actually has a physical effect. Okay, I need to play this episode to my partners because they read me sometimes for like, Dominic, positive thinking doesn't actually have any impact whatsoever. And I'm like, no, you need to think that you're getting better. Like, just, correct. just lie to yourself, folks. Yes, correct. Lie to yourself con in it, like constantly and it will help. I am very much a, when I get medications and I read the side effects, bottle mm. i'm like oh well i don't want to have diarrhea for six days and then sure enough i'll give myself diarrhea for maybe a day but it's not actually the meds it's just because i'm stressed about having diarrhea so i give myself diarrhea yeah i mean especially when you know when you travel in the states and you put on the television and it's like every other ad is 
a medication. <laughs> Correct. Please yeah. tell me why America are you so fucking obsessed with the treatment oh, for it, everything? It's crackers, and I will get a little bit. I'll get into that a little bit in this episode. Okay. But that is our pharmacophobia, placebo, nocebo effects of some medications. So a legitimate. Uh, phobia. Thanks for teaching me something, new Kate. Hey, no problems. Absolute joy to do it. Very happy to be here. A couple of things that I'm going to uh, chat about for you uh, around. I'm going to talk about things. Um, There was a word (laughs) that popped up and it's it's apothecary. And I'm going to say it a few times. So I thought for anyone who doesn't know, it is a place where medicines and drugs were sold and prepared. Yeah. Okay. So if you didn't know that, or if you've watched Schitt's Creek, there's the Rose Apothecary, which they don't sell medications, but it was like cute little things and it sounded nice and they made cute t-shirts. So yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Wine cheese. Um, that's right. I couldn't think of any other words that I needed to describe to you or define for you before I started. That was the only one. So are we good on Apothecary? I think we're good. I feel educated. Cool. Thank you. No problems. Let me dive in. This episode today is called Big Pharma, Little Pharma. Oh. And so I'm going to start with Lil Farmer. Okay, go on. Lil Farmer, yep. <laughs> Lil Farmer is uh, a bit about the history of pharmaceuticals and the medicines from whence we eat today. <laughs> the roots of pharma- the pharmaceutical industry, they lie back with apothecaries and pharmacies that offer traditional remedies as far back as the Middle Ages, offering a hit and miss range of treatments based on centuries of folk knowledge. So this stuff just comes out of people's minds <laughs> until people got this, the hang of chemicals and stuff. But basically they're like, yeah, you know what? You should definitely try chewing on glass because I've heard it's really good for a broken leg. Yeah. <laughs> like, just give stuff a go. Got a headache? Have a line yeah. of cocaine. What's a poop. Just pop it. Just pop some lewds, whatever. Now, the industry we understand, uh, as we understand it today, really has its origins in the second half of the 19th century. Yeah. Whilst the scientific revolution of the 17th century had spread ideas of rationalism and experimentation and the industrial revolution transformed the production of goods in the 18th century, the marrying of the two concepts for the benefit of human health was comparatively late in development. Mm. So when I was looking at some of these dates, I was like, really? We've only had that medicine for that long? Or it's that they only thought of it then? Wild. Now I'm going to talk about a few different uh pharmaceutical companies sure just hang in with me yeah. with some of the names uh Merck in Germany massive uh possibly the earliest company to move in this direction in terms of putting those two ideas together mm. to scissor those two ideas together you know how it is I love that um <laughs> here's the church here's the, the steeple, steeple. <laughs> over the doors and- doors and here's all the people <laughs> Oh, I think we've all had drinks in the park today. Now, originally, uh, origin, uh, no, originating, that's what I was looking for. As a pharmacy founded in Darmstadt in 1668, it was in 1827 that Henrik Emanuel Merck began the transition towards an industrial and scientific concern by manufacturing and selling alkaloids. Mm-hmm. Similarly, whilst GlaxoSmithKline that's a name that is still around today. There, whilst their origins can be traced back as far as 1715. Sure. 
It was only in the middle of the 19th century that Beecham became involved in the industrial production of medicine, producing painter to medicine from 1842 and the world's first factory for producing only medicines in 1859. Meanwhile, in the USA, Pfizer, we all should know of Pfizer, they were founded in 1849 by two German immigrants initially as a fine chemicals business. Their business expanded rapidly during the American Civil War as a demand for painkillers and antiseptics rocketed. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. People are getting sliced up and shot with things. Switzerland also rapidly developed a homegrown pharmaceutical industry in the second half of the 19th century. Previously a centre of the trade in textiles and dyes, Swiss manufacturers gradually began to realise their dye stuffs had antiseptic and other properties and began to market them as pharmaceuticals, in contrast to the origin in pharmacies of other enterprises. So they were making other stuff. They're making textiles and dyes and then they were like, oh, I had a really like deep cut on my hand and then I shoved my hand into the vat of dye and it was healed. (laughs) So they were like, there's something in this. Let's have a look. They, so they would just but... <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look great as textiles, but man, it healed my hand. So they yeah, basically started in a completely different industry and stumbled upon it. Um now Switzerland's total lack of patent laws led to it being accused of being a pirate state. Um so they're like, they don't have any laws around this and they're just making like antiseptics out of dye juice. Like what are they? I don't know. <laughs> What they're doing. <laughs> so Going rogue, let's, Switzerland. Let's keep Switzerland on a leash, please, for goodness sake. Now, in the 1900s, which I find this fascinating because we were born in the 1900s, Dom. Uh, no, we weren't. <laughs> well, yes, we were, weren't we? Or does 1900s mean 1801 to 1899? That's it's backwards. Correct, yes. So you oh, think of sometimes it back I century. feel like I was born in the 1900s. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it does seem counterintuitive to be like the 1800s should be 1860, da da da. But it's actually that was the previous century. So I always get caught up on that. Yeah. So 20th okay, century was when we were born. 20th century Fox. Yeah. Okay. We are now in the 21st century, right? You you lost me. I'm not entirely sure what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Back to Switzerland. Back to Switzerland. (laughs) Back to the 1900s. Now in the 1900s, guess who turned up? Knock, knock. G'day. It's me, Aspirin. How are you going? Oh, I thought it was Sylvester Stallone or something. (laughs) It wasn't. Now, it wasn't just, now I know what you were thinking. You thought it's just those Nootsie Swiss that have got their uh, roots in the dye trade, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that what you were thinking? No, wrong. Bayer was founded in 1863 as a dye maker. It later moved into medicines, commercializing aspirin around the turn of the 20th century, one of the most successful pharmaceuticals ever at that point. The unregulated nature of the trade in medicines during this period ensured that there was a far less strict delineation between pharmaceutical and chemical industries that we have now. So nowadays there is a fair bit of a distinction between spotlight and chemist warehouse. (laughs) So textiles and dyes, get your medicine. I'm pretty sure. Oh, I tried to take some lace and it just didn't yeah, work it was on my weird. head. It was so weird. Buttons? I put, 
I sewed two gigantic buttons to my nipples and I feel no better. Yeah. I mean, I look stunning, but I feel no better. That broken ankle is not going <laughs> to cure <odd>. itself. <laughs> Okay, so the pharmaceutical chemical industries back in that day, there was, you know, it was not uh, as clear whether they were making chemicals or pharmaceuticals. Now, these chemicals focused uh, as much on cod liver oil, toothpaste, citric acid for soft drinks and hair gel as they did on prescription medicines, as well as selling products like heroin on the -the over-the-counter market. Absolutely. So there's a bit of a, you know, revolution in terms of these medicines that they're creating, particularly something like aspirin. And then they were like, well, it's growing pretty quick and nobody's really, nobody's really stopped to think about, Hey, maybe we need to, maybe we need to talk about the fact that you're making citric acid for soft drinks and hair gel and then slinging heroin over the counter. We might <laughs> need to have a meeting. Can we all sit down for a sec. Things have escalated very quickly. You know, humans have been yeah. around for 40, 50, 80,000 years. years. Oh, a thousand, yeah. And in a hundred years we've gone from (laughs) have a button and throw in a quick little sachet of heroin. Yes, (laughs) tiny little baggie. Um, Okay, so there's a bit happening. The period between 1918 and 1939 was marked by two breakthroughs that, uh, no, I don't know this word. <laughs> Doesn't exist, Kate. Presaged? What the fuck? I'm looking it up. Hang on one minute. Pre-aged, like like it's pre pre presaged. Past tensed. Past tense. Mm. Pre. Let me say it to me. Presage. Thanks, lady. She screamed that into my ear. But aside from that, presage. Okay. Well, there you go. Look at us teaching each to other be, English. Well, I can't help it. This is genuinely what I do with my kids. If I don't know something, I just go, hey, do you know what? I don't know the answer to that. Let's look it up together. And then they're like, oh, my God, you're such a dummy. <laughs> I'm like, well, you asked me. <laughs> I know a lot of things. If you want me to give you a rundown of 1980s Michael Douglas movies, I'll do it. Don't ask me what presage means. Okay, 1918-1939. I digress. I apologize, listeners. No There's a lot of things happening. The arrival of the pharma industry as we know it today is here. The first product that they made that was pretty impressive was a little thing called insulin. Whoa, huge. Frederick Banting and colleagues uh, managed to isolate insulin that could treat diabetes, which up until that point was a fatal condition. Mm-hmm. So there was zero treatments for that. It's like you got diabetes, you die. Yeah. Yeah. Now it was only in collaboration with scientists um, that they could, uh, you know, they're able to purify the extract and industrially produce and distribute it as an effective medicine. So this is, so Frederick Banting uh, was working in the pharmaceutical industry and then he worked with another scientist um, and a guy named Eli Lilly uh, who was in the chemicals industry. So that's where the two partnered together and they go, okay, well, we can make the stuff, but you can produce it on a scale yeah. because of the factory and the stuff that you've got. Sure. So that then when they were like, oh, cool, I think we're making ph- the pharmaceutical industry here. Yeah. I think that's what we're, we're coming towards. The second amazing thing that was created during this time was penicillin. Now, penicillin um, was a discovery uh, that's, you know, it's had an impact that's unparalleled by any other medicine yeah. up until this point. 
After Alexander Fleming's initial discovery of the penicillin mold's antibiotic properties in 1928 and Howard Florey and Ernst Chain's further experimentation, a government-supported international collaboration, including Merck, Pfizer and Squibb, worked on mass-producing the drug during World War II, saving thousands of soldiers' lives. Mm. The immense scale and sophistication of the penicillin development effort marked a new era for the way which the pharmaceutical industry developed drugs. After the war, the arrival of social health care systems, such as the UK's National Health Service, NHS, um, that created much, a much more structured system, both for prescription drugs and their reimbursement. In 1957, the NHS bought in what was essentially a price-fixing scheme mm. to allow reasonable return on investment for drug manufacturers, solidifying the incentive to invest in new medicines. The US pharmacological, pharmaceutical industry was booming thanks to being part of the world's biggest and most dynamic economy. Its growth was also helped by generous funding from the government, with the National Institutes of Health seeing its federal funding rise to nearly $100 million by 1956. So $100 million in 1956 is a lot of coin. Yeah, imagine, you know, money being primarily spent on healthcare instead of defence. Drugs. Or defense. Right. Now, the investment of 100 million by 1956 fueled the development of drugs uh, to come over the coming decades yeah. in the States. Okay. So, I reflecting on this was like, you know what? Yes, of course, there has to be a balance between pharmaceutical companies getting cash funds for the ability then to develop new drugs. I was like, it's not, they're not just getting money for what they've already made, like it's them putting them in a place to discover the next penicillin or to discover the next aspirin or the next insulin and, you know, hopefully something around the cancer treatment, um, other, you know, diseases and conditions that don't have any cure or any treatment at the moment. Yeah. I get that. But then, you know, you give a lot of money to some people and maybe they don't make smart decisions. Yeah. So I want to share with you now some of the classic FDA approved drugs that hit the market that didn't necessarily help people as much as they thought they might. So this is my segment called FDA approved. Welcome. <laughs> do, 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 FDA approved. Boop, boop. Here are just a few disastrous FDA mistakes that unleashed harmful drugs into the market. The first drug I'm going to talk about is one made famous in the film Wolf of Wall Street. It is Quaaludes. Welcome, Quaaludes. Quaaludes were a sedative and a hypnotic. They were used as a sleeping aid between 1962 and 1985, so a long time. They were, in a word, and in every sense of that word, volatile. Many of the helpless insomniacs and anxiety sufferers who took the drug to get some sleep ended up becoming manic, seizing, convulsing, vomiting, and sometimes even dying. Yep. So these things are not Great. good. <laughs> and they're on the market from 1962 to 1985. If you weren't manic, seizing, convulsing, vomiting, or dying, or all of the above, then you usually ended up addicted to these things as well. So quaaludes are now considered a Schedule 1 drug. So Schedule 1 drugs are drugs like heroin and LSD. Uh, but even before being approved by the FDA, research pointed to possible issues of dependence and abuse. By the 1970s, quaaludes had become wildly popular in terms of a street drug. 
1982 alone, there were 2,764 reported emergency room visits as a result of Quaalude use. This is actually a fairly typical story when it comes to opioids. Uh, Opioids are downers that have morphine-like effects, for those of you who aren't aware. Uh, In fact, morphine and heroin themselves were both once used as pain-reducing wonder drugs. Mm -hmm. Wildly accepted, widely, widely, not wildly, maybe wildly, accepted by the medical community and the public at large. Heroin Heroin was once even marketed as the safe, non-addictive substitute for morphine in the late 1800s. Oh, lordy. Hindsight is quite a thing. It is. It's 2020. Mm. Now, so quaaludes you cannot get anymore, off the market, um, not manufactured. And if I go by the logic of the Wolf of Wall Street, you can't get them anymore. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure someone can make them at at a drop of a hat type thing, but they are not distributed. Someone could probably 3D print them at this stage. (laughs) Like, isn't that a thing? (laughs) Can't you just 3D print every shit these days? Those, gosh, put it in chat GPT AI. He'll fix it for you. Welcome to the future, everyone. You'd like to know how to home manufacture quaaludes? Ask chat. GPT. Actually, yeah, chat, G- chat GPT would probably let you know. <laughs> probably. Um, okay, so quaaludes off the list. The next drug that I want to talk to you about that the FDA approved and that was on the market for a little bit of time is one that is called Darvin or Darvacet. Darvin? Now, Darvin? Darvin! Darvin. What are you doing here? Darvin! <laughs> Did you bring your little brother Darvacet? <laughs> Okay, all jokes aside, this drug was on the market for 55 years. So that's a really long time, particularly for what it did. Now, it was an opioid pain reliever. So again, opioids, bad. And while the non-narcotic analgesic with the potency of codeine may have gotten rid of a headache, it was absolutely atrocious for your heart. So that's bad. So you don't have a headache, but your arteries are clogging at a rate of knots. You need your heart, folks. You do. I, yeah, I am not a doctor, um, but I am aware of, that, of something along those lines. Now, in creating serious cardiac abnormalities, Darwin or Darvacet was responsible for 2,110 deaths between 1981 and 1999 alone. Now, when it came time to get it off the market, the FDA did a great job of dragging their feet. They were petitioned back in 1978, and then they were petitioned again in 2006. What? So this whole time between 78 and 2006, it's on the market. A year after the UK did away with the drug, so the UK have gotten rid of it in 2005, um, and they're petitioned again to ban Darwin Darvset. In January 2009, an FDA advisory committee voted 14-12 against continued marketing. But when July rolled around, the FDA announced that it would continue to market the drug just with a little more fine print that included risk of fatal overdose. Oh, just maybe. Just as a... But if you put that as fine print on it, then it's fine. We're covered. Don't worry about it. It actually wasn't taken off the market until 2010 when a clinical trial used electrocardiograms to clearly demonstrate just how a standard dose of the pain reliever altered the heart's electrical activity, potentially causing serious or life-threatening arrhythmias. So from 1978, that was the first petition. It wasn't taken off the market until 2010. Um, That's not long ago, folks. No, no, that's not. That's only 13 years ago. So people are still able to 
get I could have bought that shit. Yeah. I was 18. Yeah. Once. Okay. <laughs> so that's Darwin Darvisett. Darwin! Darvisett. God. Boy, stop it. The next drug I'm going to talk to you about is PTZ, PTZ Metrazole, PTZ slash Metrazole. Nice. I just wanted, before you do that, I did ask ChatGPT how to make quaaludes. Did you really? Yeah. What did she, she say? They, what did they say? As an AI language model, I cannot provide instructions for making illegal drugs. It is important to note that the production and distribution of quaaludes are illegal and can result in serious legal consequences. It also has dangerous effects on the human body, including addiction, respiratory depression, and overdose. Please consider seeking professional help if you or someone you know struggles with drug addiction. I am so impressed with that response. Yeah. Not only did they explain why I'm not going to give you a recipe for, for lewds, but I'm also going to make sure that you're okay and you're supported. Welcome to our robot overlords. <laughs> Welcome to the future. I am here for chat GPT. Sorry to interrupt you, but... Um... Not at all. Not at all. That was the perfect time because I was just getting on my PTZ slash Metrazole bandwagon. Um, and that was an excellent addition. Thanks, chat GPT. Can you ask it how to... Cure a stroke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> PTZ Metrazole. Have I said that enough or should I throw in one more time? Slash. Slash. PTZ slash Metrazole was used to provide convulsive therapy. I don't like this. Convulsive therapy to treat schizophrenia and other psychiatric conditions. Originally, it was intended to be a uh, circulatory and respiratory stimulant, mm -hmm. but neurologist and psychiatrist uh, Ladislas J. Maduna discovered that a high dose caused convulsions. So he thought, well, why don't we try and treat schizophrenics with it? <laughs> now, as damning as that sounds, Maduna uh, for Maduna, convulsive therapy is actually an effective last resort psychiatric treatment that's still used today, oh, which I did not know. Uh, PTZ slash Metrazole has since been replaced by electric shocks as the preferred mechanism for convulsive therapy, a treatment that can be, uh, that can effectively induce seizures to provide often temporary relief to people suffering from major depressive disorders, mania, or catatonia. Oh. Yeah. I remember seeing one time that a person who was suffering from depression, a de depressive disorder hmm. traveled to, oh gosh, Another country. I won't even say what country because I don't know. But they travelled to another country to have convulsive therapy to try to help them because they were going through, uh, they were basically sharing their story of trying to treat yeah. their manic depressive disorder uh, and that was something they did. Now, it's not like what I have in my mind where it's you're like you're strapped to a, like a bed or something and it's really aggressive Super. and it's, it's like pads on the skin of the face, the head, and it's, you know, it, it'll make the skin sort of, jolt and they sort of have a bit of an uncomfortable look on their face but some yeah. convulsive therapies aren't quite as in my head like a full-on electric chair type situation still horrendous they were trying to use this ptz slash metrazole to treat that um it was taken off the market after 48 years because it caused uncontrollable seizures pulled muscles and spine fractures in an Ooh. estimated 42% of patients. <sighs> so only took 48 years for them to get it off the market, but those are some pretty significant side effects, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Again, not a doctor, 
but pretty significant. Okay. There were a few others that I wanted to, uh, that I was going to add in, but to be honest, they were a little bit similar to the ones we were talking about. This one I was fascinated by. Unlike so many other FDA mistakes that went on for years or even decades, Posicor intended to treat high blood pressure and chest pain. Now, it was recalled within a year of its release. From the beginning, yeah, from the beginning, it seemed that the drug was rather temperamental and they release it. This boggles my fucking brain, guys. Don't. Early clinical research indicated that the drug caused potentially dangerous, uh, irregular heartbeats. It also couldn't be combined with hisminol, which is an antihistamine, propulsid, which is heartburn relief, or seldane, which is another antihistamine. And fun fact, all of those drugs have also since been discontinued <laughs> for having risks that outweigh the benefits. <laughs> now, Posicor couldn't be combined with these drugs because it reduced the activity of liver enzymes that help the body to process those drugs. The results could be fatal. Now, by the time Posicor was recalled, over 25 drugs were considered dangerous in combination with it, and it was suspected in 100 deaths in the space of 12 months. Isn't that fascinating, though, in this particular case that one particular drug for one particular role or thing then uncovers the risks of a whole other family of unconnected drugs. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly right. It's the whole suite of side effects or additional things and chemical reactions that it can cause. Now, after the suspected 100 deaths, um, they thought we'll take Posicor off off the shelves. And in the FDA's own rather understated words, the complications with Posicor cannot be practically addressed by standard label warnings. <laughs> no. <laughs> they couldn't put 25 other drugs as a list of do not take if you are taking plus a score, blah, 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 The ad would go forever. Yeah. Like they can't put that many things on there. And that saying so, something for the FDA and America. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, oh, we can't just add it as a warning label? Okay, fair enough. Oh, 100 people have died in a year? Well, okay, we'll take it off the shelf. Godly. Okay, here is my next segment for you all today. It is called FDA Approval Pending. FDA Approval Pending. Here's our list of classic home remedy slash drug suggestions that I'm not, I don't think they made the FDA's list, but approval's still pending. Oh. The first one I have for you is cigarettes. Oh my God, still pending. Nah, it's not really. I'm just shitting ya. These are dumb ones that people used to do back in the gosh darn forever it goes. And the first one was in 1923, um, in which they were promoting cigarettes as a cure for asthma. Now, it is now common knowledge that they, in fact, do the opposite, and they do, in fact, cause asthma flare-ups. In addition to asthma, uh, cause a little thing called cancer, which is not great. So I've heard, again, not a doctor. So cigarettes were advertised in 1923 as a way to cure your asthma, but since there's found out there's other better ways. Yeah. So that's our first one that's still pending approval on the FDA's list. The next one is Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. (gasps) 
Oh, I like the sound of that. Yeah, I kind of want a little bit of Mrs. Uh, Winslow's soothing syrup because it was um, a popular remedy for babies. Uh-oh, here we go. Now, if they um, were experiencing anything from teething to diarrhoea, they could be treated with this. Um, and it turns out they would be thrilled because it was made of a heavy percentage of alcohol and morphine. Of course babies are going to love that. I mean, <laughs> so that would be thrilled. I think that's still on the pending approval uh, list. The next one that I have for you is chloroform. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you think chloroform was used to treat, Dom? Wasn't it used to sedate people, like, for to go into surgeries and all sorts of things? It was kind of like, you know, maybe the way that we use laughing gas or things like that. It's like, yeah, feel a bit yes. silly, knock you out, and then we 100%. Can... That's right. Also used by murderers or a, a people that want to abduct people. Sure. Because um, it knocks people out. However, back in 1930. For they said in an advertisement in the newspaper that chloroform will completely relieve all your symptoms of asthma. Oh my god! Again, asthma is a big one. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, um, this belief eventually resulted in the deaths of patients who, in fact, overdosed during an asthma attack. So <laughs> they couldn't quite knock themselves out. So as to stop taking the chloroform, turns out they still had asthma. I wonder whether this whole chloroformy thing, because isn't it, does it, maybe not right now, Kate, because you've done so much research already, but my understanding chloroform and stuff is some sort of plant derivative, which is probably all drugs or majority of drugs. Yeah. But isn't things like eucalyptus and verbena and other like sort of, you know, those quite potent, almost minty type things, they were meant to help is sort that- of open up. The breathing chlorophyll yeah is it from that oh maybe no, I, don't I don't know i don't know enough about it i've just looked up chloroform it is a chemical it's a chemical compound slash scientific numbers slash letters that happen after the word chloroform is chc i3 it's a colorless colorless liquid that quickly evaporates into gas it can harm the eyes skin liver kidneys and nervous system chloroform cannot can be toxic if inhaled or swallowed exposure to chloroform may also cause cancer workers may be harmed from exposure to chloroform okay not a good one yeah no sure. no i don't think that's a plant one right uh, but i know i hear what you're saying i feel like chlorophyll makes me think of plants yeah let me look up that chlorophyll chlorophyllus natural compound found in green plants that gives them their color also helps absorb energy from the sun as they undergo the process of photosynthesis. The nutrient is present in green vegetables and other plant-based foods like algae. Okay, there we'll save chlorophyll for when plants Good news story. go murderish. That's right, exactly. Okay, so Chloroform, though, for asthma, no bueno. No bueno. The next uh, treatment that is still currently being pending approval for the FDA, it could pass, though, it's for hay fever. And it is cocaine. <gasps> Yayo. I've never heard many of it. Believed, no, many believed that the allergy symptoms caused by pollen, also known as hay fever, could be alleviated with the application of cocaine, as described in an article. Uh, this was discovered not to be the case by Dr. George Frederick Laidlaw, a recognized leading pathologist of the homeopathic school in New York, is quoted in multiple articles saying, if you can't cure it without cocaine, you better keep the hay fever. <laughs> oh, thanks, Dr. George. <laughs> okay, my final um, 
pending approval Mm -hmm. from the FDA. Now, this one, I'm not entirely sure why it hasn't been approved yet, but in 1899, there was a little uh, known article that I would love to read to you if you'd allow me the, the, uh, what's the word I'm saying? The honour. Yes, the absolute honour, a cure for rheumatism. Or rheumatoid, rheumatoid arthritis, Dominic. What could it possibly be in 1899? Big one. Um, it is a big one. Weed. Marijuana. You are so close. It's a whale. <laughs> <laughs> this article from this newspaper from 1899 has the headline, Whale Cure for Rheumatism. It is said that in Australia there is a hotel where rheumatism patients congregate. Whenever a whale has been taken, the patients are rowed over to the works where the animal is cut up. The whalers dig a narrow grave in the body And in this, the patient lies for two hours, as in like a Turkish bath, the decomposing blubber of the whale closing around his body and acting as a huge poultice. This is known as the whale cure for rheumatism. Oh, my (laughs) God. I mean, what's the, like, oh, Granny, she's having a bit of a hard time moving. Better go kill a whale and shove her in it like Luke Skywalker. Yeah, 100%. Now, let me ask you. This was discovered by someone, Dom. Now, this is in Australia. <laughs> it's in New South Wales. It's actually not far from the Victorian-New South Wales border up in the, the east coast of Australia. Now, tell me, how do you think this was discovered? Now, the two bays, is a, it's a whaling, there's a whaling station there. How do you think someone discovered this by being inside of a whale? How do you think it happened? Okay, it's either two things. Either okay. someone got, you know, a bunch of mates got really fucking drunk and someone was just like, I dare you. I dare you, Jimmy. Now, Baza, get in and see how far you can see get in the whale happened. carcass. Or, yep. and I hate to say it, but someone went down the like sexual perverted Ooh, route. okay. Yeah. Well, Dom, you didn't need two guesses because you got to live one. The way that this was discovered was a drunken man who was staggering along the beach near the whaling station at Twofold Bay saw the dead whale <laughs> cut open and just took a header shoop, straight into the decomposing plumber. And when he got out of it, which God knows how long that took him, he was like, do you know what? My knees feel fantastic. (laughs) I don't think it's the 50, 100 gallons of beer that I've had before this. It's definitely because I just slipped headfirst into a whale carcass and now my arthritis is cured. Can you imagine that some dickhead did that and somehow it became known as the whale cure? It's so good. How's that as a bar story? Like he goes to the bar the next day and he goes, you... You might not believe what actually happened to me last night. I'm going to remember that. walking down the beach and I slipped into a whale and I feel great today. (laughs) So why don't you guys give it a red hot crack? Then people, they actually had the whale hotel. So people would go specific, travel from all around to stay at the whale hotel to be rowed out to a whale and just (laughs) plonked inside a little hole of a carcass and then just (laughs) like a sauna. Humans. You are stupid. We are oh, doomed. Bob, this is so lovely. Uh, how you, how's it, how are your knuckles feeling? Do you reckon you can make a fist again, Dal? I'd be thrilled if you could. <laughs> All right? Oh, yeah, good on you, Dal. Oh, so stupid. Oh, oh my gosh. 
the final thing um, that I want to leave you with is actually going to be an extra recording that we're going to do because we've got our patrons that deserve a little special. So I'm going to, we're going to record a really quick little epi. In the late 1740s, John Wesley is a British evangelist and he was a co-founder of um, Methodism. Mm-hmm. He published a book which is called Primitive Physic. Now, if you don't, don't get done by the name, let me tell you how physics spelled. P-H-Y-S-I-C-K, physic. And mm-hmm. the name of the book is An Easy and Natural Method of Curing Most Diseases. If you are interested in listening to that, you have to sign up to our Patreon. And if you are interested in listening to that and you've already signed up to our Patreon, go find it because we're going to put it up there. All right. Well, I guess that's the end of the normal episode. So that's it. Uh, Kate, well done. That was thank you. Um, very educational um, and eye opening. I was blown away by the decomposing blubber man. I thought that was pretty special. Yeah, that's, pretty special. That's the that's the icing on the cake. So to yeah, speak. and still pending FDA approval. Shh, surprisingly. <laughs> Absolutely gagged. Can't believe it. All right. Well, okay, folks, please, you know, drugs are serious and speak to a doctor. Don't listen to Kate. Yes. No. Um, And if you, yeah, have any concerns, ask Chat GPT. They're all about it. They got the knowledge. They'll get you onto the places you need to be. Yeah. And it seems like they have some morals and ethics and they're not going to teach you anything you shouldn't. Exactly. But for our regular listeners, love you. See you soon. And for our patrons, see you even sooner. Love you. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.